Welcome to Uninhibited, a podcast with the mission to discuss taboo, multicultural, multigenerational, and multilayered topics that matter to women. My name is Dr. Makunda Abdul-Baki. I am an Ivy League-trained OBGYN practicing medicine in rural America. I am married and raising three dynamic African-American boys. I am a mother, a career professional, a part of Generation X, and so much more. I bring to the table a true desire for social justice that informs my opinions, and my hope is that this podcast will open conversations, question beliefs, and be transformative. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Uninhibited. I'm your host, Dr. Makunda Abdul-Baki, and today we are blessed to have Kivi Hairston with us today. Um, She has a story that I, it's certainly a unique story because it's her story, but unfortunately, with the United States leading all developed countries in incarceration, it's not a completely unique story because um, her and her family have dealt with the, the reality of loving someone, having that person be incarcerated, and then welcoming that person back and making them a part of the family again. And so I thought it would be a great discussion to have, um, to learn more about what her life was like and how things um, evolved. And hopefully it will give us some wisdom and help with other families that may be somewhere in that that uh, line. So welcome, Kivi. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit about um, how you met your husband and fell in love and how long you guys have, uh, you know, have been together, just the, the early part of the story. Well, we met back in 2001. I was uh, actually working for his uncle at Linwood Golf and Country Club. Um, I, I was the restaurant manager there, and he used to come through to get food every now and then, and um, we just got to talking. I mean, at the time, he was in a relationship, but, you know, we was, you know, we just got to talking and became friends and stuff, and stuff just kind of led from that. When we met, um, I already had my daughter, Yara, when we first met back in okay. 2001. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then when, so you first met in 2001, um, when did you um, start dating and, and get married? Well, we uh, started dating not too much longer after that. And we actually got married in two, um, January 1st, 2005. Okay. Um, we had, um, but we had our son um, in March of 2003. Okay. Okay. And um, at that point, um, so tell me a little bit about when things happened as far as the incarceration. Had he had before when you were dating, had he had any brushes with the law that were kind of um, smaller and so didn't really amount to something or, or was this kind of just uh, all out of the blue when it happened? Yeah, this was the first time, but you know, I I mean, when I started dating Marcus, I knew he did a little hustling. I mean, he's a barber, 
But I, mm-hmm. I also knew that he did a little, you know, hustling on the side. I knew that he did that. And, you know, Dr. Sabaki, you know, at the time, you know, I was kind of like, I had been around that environment before, so it really didn't even bother me that he did do that. Mm-hmm. We uh, all change and evolve. Right. But, you know, and then as you know, I, you know, I, I got married and our relationship, you know, start growing and, you know, I was getting more into the church, you know, you know, then it's, you know, that's when I, I began to pray more, you know, Lord, you know, I want more for our family. You know, I don't want our kids to grow up around that. And 2008 is, you know, when all that just, you know, it happened, he got arrested and he ended up, you know, going to jail. And so 2008 was when he was arrested. So you guys, you said you were together since 2001 and you got married in 2005. So you were together for about seven years before he um, got arrested. What was the court proceedings like and, and trying to understand the judicial system, especially since you said this was a first time offense? What what was he charged with initially? Possession of marijuana and a firearm. Okay. First, we you know we was I think it was like state, but I think because of the I'm trying to remember I think because of the firearm with the, with the possession of marijuana made it federal. So I don't know the laws and uh, but I know was it because it was such a large um, was it such a large amount that uh, I like I don't know if it if that makes a difference the the amount I think the amount does make the difference but I cannot quote you now how how much it was because I you know I have I have no idea no I understand definitely so you go through the how long does the court proceedings take like so he's arrested and then does, is he able to make bond? Like, tell us that that part of the story. Does he go? Yeah, does he well, come actually, back home? And, yes, mm-hmm. actually, the crazy thing about it, when he did get arrested, he was taken to Roanoke, and they did release him that same mm-hmm. day. And it was like I think uh, maybe a couple of months later, they they just popped up. This this he had a barbershop in um, Collinsville at the time, mm-hmm. and they popped. You know, they popped up again and picked him up and from that is when all the we had to get the lawyer and all you know all everything started going where we had to go to court and stuff and how long did that process take between when they picked him up again a couple of months later and sentencing it seemed like it was forever but it really it really wasn't um i want to say it was in that same year because i think it was like the beginning of beginning of 2008 that all of this happened and then he went to jail. Now, I want to say it was the end of 2007 because he went to jail in May of 2008. Okay. So, yeah, so, it, was, it, was a, it was a few months in, in between there in the process. Okay. And when, um, how long was he sentenced for? So this is 2008. He's arrested. He's set that you've gone through the, the court, uh, the trial and everything. How long is he sentenced for? He ended up serving three years in the um, Bennettsville Federal Correction Center, which was like two and a half hours from here. Okay. And so, okay, so he served three years. And at that point, how old were your kids when he first was incarcerated in 2008? Kiara was 13 and Marquise was five. Five. How did they take it, if you can go back in time, and how did you 
how did you explain stuff, assuming that obviously language is different and understanding is different between a five-year-old and a 13-year-old, but how did, um, how did they understand things? How did, how did you explain everything to them? Well, um, I felt as though Kiara was old enough to understand. So she actually know what, what he went to jail for and, and that. Marquise, we didn't get into details with him, but he knew that his daddy was in jail. And during that time, Marquise was going into kindergarten that's coming mm-hmm. up year. And we really had some behavioral problems with him during that process, during that time. Well, speak on that. Like, speak on the fact that he's a five-year-old boy and um, his father is abruptly taken away from him um, and what that kind of uh, uh, did for him in the classroom. Because, you know, for the listeners to know on, on the on the flip side, um, we know her, her son and her daughter to be exceptionally intelligent kids um, and, you know, both have a, a bright future ahead of them. But speak on what it was like for him for the five-year-old perspective and what was the behavior so that, again, listeners can understand, maybe some teachers can understand um, what's going on in people's families and, you know, how to address it so that it doesn't always become this is a problem child. Right. And I was very blessed to have some great teachers with his during his elementary school years at um Patrick Henry Elementary School. And um when I first talked to his kindergarten teacher when he was like having behavioral problems in class and the first time that you know I, that she spoke with me about it, she she actually told me that he said he was upset because it w- we were supposed, supposed to go visit his dad, but the, pris- the the place was on lockdown, so we couldn't go. And so he was upset that we didn't get to go see his dad. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it was an issue, you know, that, you know, I had, you know, the counselor, I had him, you know, to try to talk to him. I had his uncle to try to, you know, Marcus's brother, to, you know, to try to talk to him, but I I kind of deal with that the whole three years that Marcus was gone. I mean, it wasn't real, real bad, but he and actually me and him talked about that recently about his attitude and how it has got better now. Mm-hmm. And he, he was he just said, you know, mom, you know, my dad, you know, I was hurt because my dad was just seemed like he just was taken from me, and um, I was just in the house with you know you and. At the time, you know, a couple of well, a couple of months after Marcus went to jail, my mom came to stay with us, and my mom, and then I had Kiara, and he was, he was he was like, you know, I just didn't know where to turn my my sadness and frustration to, so I was just I was just mad. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but we never did like as far as like go to uh, you know, his counsel, you know, at school, you know, talk to him a little bit, and like I said, his I, you know, from the first incident with kindergarten, I. If, you know, when he went to first and second grade, I just blamed to his teachers, you know, that his dad was incarcerated and, you know, what we was dealing with at the time. Well, that's interesting. A lot of people might feel ashamed or kind of want to keep that uh, private, but you 
thought it was best to be open. Um, I mean, obviously for our listeners, we um, live in a small town, so um, it's not, it's not um, New York city or anything like that. So, um, and you know, his family is a prominent family, you know, so it's not as though it would have been a big secret, but I think, um, I think that's, important that the honesty was there for you because then the teachers could 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 know and um you know be prepared if there were days when he was particularly sad or or upset and you know not giving him a free pass but at least have some kind of understanding so i think that that was good what about your older daughter your um your oldest She's 13. She's um, getting into the teenage years and um, the the man in the house wasn't in the house. How did, how was that? Well, I think she coped with it more because, you know, she was more involved with, you know, she was in middle school and she had a lot going on with her friends and stuff. And um, she said, um, I had, she was involved with activities at school. So yeah, I didn't really have any issues with her. And, you know, she, she's never even, you know, said that, you know, that she, she said she was sad that her dad wasn't here. I guess she just saw her mama just trying to, you know, trying to make it. So mm-hmm. she was, you know, mm-hmm. she like, she was a comforter for me and her little brother. Mm-hmm. So now on to you, speaking of, uh, speaking of that, how did you deal with, um, you know, your, your loved one, your husband, uh, being incarcerated um, for the three years, um, you know, what what was it like? At first, I cried a lot, you know, from missing him, and but I just, you know, I just tried to get my focus on. I needed to find some peace in my life because my emotions was just everywhere from you know missing him, and I was feeling overwhelmed for the fact that I'm like I didn't went from two incomes to one income, but you know the same amount of bills coming in. Yeah. And and I had these two kids depending on me. When Marcus first went to jail, my mom, I, you know, I really didn't have, you know, I had mom, you know, he, she had me, have a, but, at the, you know, my mom and my dad was incarcerated at the, same, at the exact same time. Wow. I never knew that. Mm-hmm. So you yep. really had no one that was like close, like, I mean, because most girls will depend on their parents. I mean, not girls, but most, uh, you know, parents are just a a key part Mm -hmm. of our uh, support system and for, for, for most people. So, um, so it really at some times felt like you were doing this all on your own. Exactly. (laughs) But yes, it, it, it was a, it was a lot of crying for the first couple months going on. Got myself focused with work, you know, in church. Work in church. Um, what mm-hmm. did going up to visit help, or what? What were the visits like? You said he ended up in a facility that was about two and a half hours away from us. Yes, we we tried to go at least every three months because, like you know, at time you know, like I say, going to visit that that's money. You know, you had to have gas. You know, to get there. Mm-hmm money for mm-hmm. the kids eat a lot of times either marcus's mom went or somebody you know went with us but we tried to go at least every three months and it was always a great visit i mean we was always very happy to see him but always of course hated to leave him you know and how then long would they allow I, you to visit for 
Like, so if you went up for a weekend, would you be able to see him for how much time, like the Friday, the Saturday and the Sunday, or would it just tell me like how long you could visit for? What were the restrictions? Visitations was Saturdays and Sundays and like holidays. And if I can remember, they started like at maybe 8.30 and you could stay there the whole the whole day um, if you wanted to. And I think visitation was over like at five. Okay. So then would you typically stay for most of the day? And is it, it you know, is it like what you see in the movies where it's just, I mean, did they have them behind glass or was it an open kind of room with being able to touch him and talk to him and show him, you know, pictures of, Marcus playing baseball or whatever. Marquise, I meant. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, here's what's more. Here's what's um, what you call the um, high risk. I guess he was like more of. You couldn't take nothing in as far as like pictures and stuff, but we could. You know, we had physical contact with him. You know, to touch him, talk to him. You know, they had like little games in there. You know, as far as like food, you could order after the vending machines and stuff. But yeah, it was contact. Mm-hmm. Okay. So just as, as an aside, again, to help some of the listeners, and, um, you know, I take care of women that have been incarcerated. I take care of women that have partners that are incarcerated currently. Would you, would you, you were married, so you stayed and you had kids. And so there was a a bond to continue. Would you advise um, a woman to stay with um, her partner or would it just depend? Well, um, I don't know if I would say advise to or not to, I guess it all depends on every, you know, everybody has their own situation, which is, you know, if somebody goes to jail, I mean, you don't stop loving them. Um, I would, I would, I would at least say, you know, give it a chance to see, you know, how it would work for you. I mean, if it don't, it don't, but because in my opinion, even though they may be incarcerated, they still need to have that bond with their children. Mm -hmm. No, I'm sure he would, he would definitely agree that that at least, um, you know, not if he, if he couldn't have seen them at all for the three years, that would have been a whole lot more difficult, the homecoming. So yes, on him and them. Definitely. So what was homecoming like? So he served his three years, I think you said, so 2008 is when he got locked up. So I'm assuming sometime in 2011, he comes home at that point. Um, how old are the kids? Let's see. Three years later, we'll be have Kiara right at sixteen, and Marquise. Marquise would be about eight. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, what was homecoming like? Oh, we we was very excited. I mean, it wasn't adjustment, but we was very excited to have him home, um, especially the kids. I had my thing. I had to get adjusted for the fact that over three years, you know, I was just going, you know, as I please, you know, doing stuff. But I had to get used to him being here, and you know, as far as keeping open communication with him. So, how do you think? Did you notice any changes in him when he came home? Was he quieter? Was he more to himself? Was what changes did you notice? Yeah, I would say he was. He was quiet. Um. 
he was, I guess, it, you know, pretty much he was just trying to adjust back to being out here. Um, his main thing is he wants to get back into, you know, cutting hair. Because when he, well, when he first got released, he had to go to a halfway house, which was in um, Winston-Salem. And oh, wow. um, they, because, I mean, I thought they only did the halfway house if you didn't have like a, a strong family support or really didn't even know where you were going to stay. He had a home and a, a, a strong family support. Why? Why the halfway house, if you know? I'm not for sure why he had to go to the halfway house. Okay. I just thought when you came out of, you know, that that's just the procedure that they did. I'm not for sure what was the reasoning behind it. Um, uh, He was there. Um, he was there a couple of months, but he could come home on the weekend. Okay. And, of course, he had monitoring braces on his leg at the time. Mm-hmm. Then he had, mm-hmm. you know, he could be out and about, but he would have to be back in the house by a certain time. When he was at the halfway house for a few months. Yes. Even, okay. And then even when he came home on the weekend, it was still the same thing. He had to be in by a certain time. Okay. Yeah, so, so when he was released, was that time served or did he have to do um, parole or or did, did he have to keep... Did he have to, like, for the first year or two out, did he have to report to a parole officer or do anything additional? Yes, he had to report to a parole officer. Um, and I think it was supposed to be for a year, but he ended up getting off before the year was uh, She let him off before the year was up because he was, you know, he was doing everything he was supposed to do. Yeah, I mean, yes. Because, I mean, that, that was the surprising part for me because I know that um, the family he comes from and the support that he has um, is exceptional and isn't what everyone has, honestly, um, incarcerated or not incarcerated. He comes from a very um, strong, supportive family. So um, I, I could definitely see where he would have gotten kind of off of uh, parole quickly um, by putting all the right tools together. Um, so what were the difficulties? You talked a little bit about the open communication that you had kind of already gotten accustomed to being a single mom. So what were the difficulties of coming back together as a, a family? How did the kids respond? Um, how did you respond? All of that. Well, one thing I did tell Mark when he first came home that it wasn't that we really had to adjust to him. He he had to adjust to us. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, as far as like, it's like Marquise had got into sports, which was great because I think he kind of geared some of his frustration with playing soccer and basketball, which was, you know, a, something that he really enjoyed, enjoyed doing. So, mm-hmm. well, as far as the sports, you know, he just, you know, supported Marquise with that. And then, like I said, Kiara, she never really played sports. She just was in a lot of activities in school. I was like, you know, it's just doing some one-on-one time with the kids individually. Mm -hmm. Time makes um, couples grow apart. And then the incarceration would, I'm assuming, make that even worse. So what helped you to reconnect the two of you? So outside of the kids? Well, um, I don't really feel like we grew apart. I mean, we talked practically every other day. I mean, true enough, I didn't okay. see him, see him, mm-hmm. you know, as much as I wanted to. 
like I said, we communicated, we talked, we, you know, wrote letters, sent cards and stuff. So I don't really feel like we really grew apart that much. You know, the only thing was it felt more independent. And mm-hmm. I had, you know, realized once he come home, you know, it's, it's us again. And, you know, mm-hmm. I have to involve, involve him in day-to-day decisions and stuff and stuff like that. Okay. So what do you think the future holds as far as um, is this, you know, the offenses that he was jailed for are, um, you know, nonviolent offenses and um, much of the, the United States are moving toward decriminalization and in other ways legalization of marijuana is, you know, how, how does how does that kind of play a, a role? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Well, me and Marcus had got to talk about that the other day, too, as far as, you know, he was like, he went to jail for something that now that they're about to legalize. Um, but the the, the, the justice system, um, I have a, a cousin pulling 55 years in state prison. It's not even federal, it's state prison, 55 years to sell of, you know, cocaine, which I know that's still not legalized, but I'm looking at like you're giving these people more years than you're giving people just killing people. Exactly. Yeah, and I'm not saying that what what they've done was right, but you know, to take 55 years from a young man's life for, and I was looking, I was just looking over his um, rec, you know, his court stuff, and it was like 200 and some dollars worth of crack cocaine that this man then went got 55 years for. That makes no sense. No sense at all. Yeah. Yeah. As as we all know, that's not, he's not bringing it into the country. He's not manufacturing it. He is doing it as a side hustle in a community that has very limited resources. There are, you know, it's still hard to get jobs and, and no one should, the takeaway from this uh, podcast conversation should not be that, um, you know, that me and Kiwi think that everything should be legalized and that, you know, right. No, no, be no never. That's, yeah, that's not the case at all. But 55 years is, is virtually his life, you know, yeah. I mean, because yeah. however old he was, if he's 18 or 20, that would, you know, be the, the, the entirety of his life for $200 worth of crack cocaine. So that is um, an area um, where we as a country really need to take a, a, a look at what we're doing because basically, um, you know, it sounds as though your experiences between your your parents and your husband and a cousin have the the criminal justice system has um, played a you know a devastating role in your life, but you guys are certainly the reason why I wanted to talk to you. You are um, you are reborn. You're 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 rising and you're doing great things. And I think that you and Marcus stand as a testament to what love and what God can do through us that the fact that you're still together, the fact that you're, uh, you know, both have successful um, businesses and the fact that, you know, both kids are, are doing great. Um, there is a, um, 
purpose in pain and that there are uh, there are still people, you know, struggling and making it happen. And I definitely think that you and Marcus are are uh, a testimony to, you know, the struggle and making it happen. Oh, yes. And, you know, I just thank God that, you know, when he did get out, he, he did get focused on church, allowing God to be in the midst of everything that's going on in our life right now. We are blessed yeah. that we are. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Kivi, for sharing your story. And um, we will have, uh, if people are interested in ways to uh, push the issue on criminal justice reform, we will have links at the end of the podcast so that you can uh, find out more about what you can do in your community to uh, decrease some of this uh, sentencing and decrease some of the devastating effects that um, the the jail sentences can do. But thank you so much, Kivi, for sharing your story with us. Have- oh, you're so welcome. And just thank, thank you for having me. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this latest episode of Uninhibited. You can find more episodes to download at iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. You can also continue the conversation at uninhibited.community on Facebook, where you can like us and share. And you can continue chatting on Instagram at uninhibited.podcast. Special shout out to Trap Quilo for the beats.